You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Uh, you may have noticed that we have among us brother and sister Woodward. And uh, I, I reached out to brother Woodward in the spring, and I, I know uh, he's an incredibly uh, busy individual. His calendar fills out quite quickly, um, and he's known around the world. And we are blessed here this morning to be able to have him. He let me know that he, he had one Sunday available. And so this is why we have, uh, we have it on November 27th here today. We wanted to make sure that he was able to be here for this. And there was no other individual I could think of to honor Pastor and Sister Carter better than having Bishop Woodward with us. He is the Bishop of Capital Community Church in Fredericton. He's also the Presbyter of, for all of Canada. And we... We uh, appreciate so much your willingness to be here and give tribute to our pastor and pastor's wife. Amen. We invite you to come and preach the word of the Lord here this morning. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I've got one of those New Brunswick whatever, colds. It's not COVID. Let's not do that again. So if I sound a little hoarse, you just chalk it up to me being older than you remember me, and uh, we'll get along famously. Um, It is such a delight to be here. It really, really is for Beverly and I, and uh, to honor uh, your pastor is so appropriate. And I thank uh, the Robertsons. Brother Robertson, I thought it was difficult to travel and do all of the rigmarole with COVID. But my goodness, he's like top secret, secret agent, spy agency. He's amazing. And so it's been a delight to spring this on Brother and Sister Carter. And uh, it's a real honor to be here. Uh, We are delighted to join you in giving honor where honor is due today. The Bible tells us to do that. And we pause today to celebrate 10 years of the Carter's ministry here at Mission Point in St. John. And what a wonderful decade you have had. And uh, we've rejoiced with you from afar. Um, We uh, have a great connection to this church from being here. And uh, it's been a joy to watch what's been happening here at Mission Point. And uh, 10 years is... That's a good length of time. Ten years is enough time to go from being married 20-some years to being married 30-some years. Ten years is enough time to move from celebrating birthdays in your 40s to celebrating birthdays in your 50s. At least one of them, we'll say. Ten years is enough time to grow a little gray hair. Ten years is enough time to make a lot of memories. And ten years is enough time to watch all of your friends do the same thing. I walked in here this morning, and some of you look decidedly older than I remember you. (laughs) Ten years is enough time 
to call a city home. Ten years is enough time to call a congregation a family. And ten years for Brother and Sister Carter is enough time, more than enough time, to entwine their lives and entangle their emotions and engage their hearts with the wonderful, beautiful, faithful people of God here in this city. Ten years is enough time, brothers and sisters, to watch lives and families and futures and eternities be changed by the preaching of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost. Ten years is enough time to laugh together around fellowship tables and to dance together around these altars and every once in a while to weep together around caskets. Ten years is enough time to say hello to cherish babies, and goodbye to some precious saints. And for the Carters, 10 years is long enough to become not just pastor in title, but pastor in heart. And I concur with what Brother Robertson said. You have been abundantly, abundantly blessed. I am so thankful to the Lord for his faithfulness, and I am so impressed with his church around the world. The local church is the hope of this world. And there is no more important decision you could ever make for you and your family other than serving the Lord Jesus. There is no other decision you could make any more important than your involvement in the local church. The local church is your family, and this is a good family. Jeremiah spoke and he said, I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And on the New Testament side of things, the Apostle Paul said, God gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting, the maturing, the completing, the equipping of the saints so the saints could do the work of the ministry and the body of Christ could be edified. If a pastor is one of God's great gifts to the body of Christ, and if a gift expresses the love that the giver of that gift has for the recipient of that gift. And God certainly must love Mission Point a whole lot to give you the pastor and the first lady that he has given you. You are blessed people. But having a pastor isn't just a one-way street. Your pastor isn't just your advisor. He's not just your mentor or a motivational speaker or a life coach. A pastor is something else entirely. In both the Old and New Testament, the word for pastor has the sense of a shepherd, someone who feeds and leads the sheep. So I won't belabor the point because I'm the guest here this morning and I'm supposed to behave myself. But let me just tell you that sheep are not survivors. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but sheep are not strong or independent creatures. Sheep are not proud hunters. Sheep are not fierce predators. You can take just about any other domesticated animal in the world, your dog, your cat, Fido or Fluffy, and you can put them back in the wild and they will at least stand a fighting chance of survival, but not sheep. If you put a domesticated sheep back in the wild, you've just given nature a tasty snack. Maybe you've heard about the fight or flight instinct. Well, sheep can't do either very well. 
And that's why there's not one person in this congregation that right now you have a guard sheep at home looking after your property while you were in service. Because all sheep can do when danger comes is flock together like a bunch of puffy marshmallows hoping that the predator will pick somebody else first. And it is precisely because sheep are so defenseless that they are totally dependent on a shepherd to protect them. Sheep are also quite directionless on their own. You can put them in a perfect pasture, but sooner or later they will wander off and get lost. And I don't want to be offensive here this morning, but sheep can be just plain dumb sometimes. Beverly tells me not to say dumb or stupid in the pulpit, and I keep forgetting. (laughs) Or I just don't care. There are documented cases of hundreds of sheep following each other off cliffs to their death in the absence of a shepherd. Sheep are always subject to danger. Without following the shepherd, sheep cannot survive for very long. And you know what the Bible compares all of us to. We are God's people and we are the sheep of his pasture. So God arranged this beautiful thing called the church so that we would have pastors to shepherd the sheep. You want to thank God every day for your pastor and for his wife and their family. David killed a lion and he killed a bear while he was defending his father's flock because that's the kind of commitment it took to be a good shepherd. Shepherding wasn't a glorious occupation to be sure. It was just long lonely days and nights of burning heat and freezing cold, endless tedious tasks sometimes interrupted by moments of sheer terror when predators arrived. Shepherds were frequently subjected to extreme hazards and peril, sometimes even giving their lives for the sheep. And that's what Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And as with all ministries in the body of Christ, Jesus Christ is our supreme example. He's the one your pastor follows in the fear of God as he leads you. He is the good shepherd. He's called the great shepherd. The Bible says he's the chief shepherd. Peter wrote he's the shepherd and bishop of our souls. He is Jehovah Reah. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And Jesus is the one who appoints and anoints under shepherds to lead his sheep, his people, his church. Aren't you glad for the church? Aren't you glad the church made a difference in your life and in your family? Paul's favorite name for believers was brethren. And he uses it more than 60 times in his letters, 27 times just in the letters to Thessalonica. He sees God's church as a family, especially when it comes to local assemblies of believers like Mission Point. And Paul saw that family as absolutely crucial to the birth and growth of every child of God. And just like your family, it's absolutely crucial that God's family has good leadership. Now, I know today we live in an odd era where everything is upside down. Good is called evil, and evil's called good, and bitter's called sweet, and sweet's called bitter, and light's called darkness, and darkness is called light. I know, we're upside down in our culture today. So I know there are families where now the children are given the leadership and the parents just kind of coast along trying to be their buddy and do everything they want. But that shouldn't be your family. 
I hope you've got more sense than that. And in God's family, it's critical that we have leadership. Paul says, these are people that the Lord has placed over us. And then he uses this word, to admonish us. To admonish someone means to urge them to do their duty. So the question, not just for this wonderful day of honor on a 10th anniversary, the question not just for today, but for every day is, as a church member, as part of this local family of believers, how do I honor every day the spiritual leadership that God has placed in my life? Paul alludes to this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, We beseech you, brethren, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and they admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. If you'd permit me, I would say that Paul tells us to do at least three things there. First of all, he says, Know them that labor among you. Accept their authority honor their giftings. Not every pastor is the same. Not every first lady is the same. You honor your pastor and your first lady, and you thank God for the giftings God placed in them. That's why you have a team of ministries at this church, is so that the body is well looked after. And then Paul says, esteem them. Receive their counsel, receive what they say, receive what they teach, and don't let there be a shaft of sunlight between you and what pastor teaches from the Word of God. Submit to their teaching. And then finally he says, be at peace among yourselves. You know what Paul's saying there? He said, don't cause church trouble for your leaders to have to deal with. Be a good saint. Be a good child of God in the family. That's, that's what he says. And it was almost 25 years ago when I was an assistant pastor right here in this congregation when I first read some of these words that I will read to you next. It was a special presentation for our building fund, Sunday evening, January the 18th, 1988. To put that in context, Pastor Jack and Kathy Lehman dedicated their firstborn, Kristen, that same Sunday. So that's a while ago. And that's the first time I read these words to this congregation. I am your church. I am brick and mortar, metal and wood. I am sanctuary and steeple, platform and pulpit. I am furniture and Bibles, offices and classrooms. I am your church. It was just a century ago in your province that men and women felt the call to preach this one God message in the face of intimidation and even outright persecution. They started in borrowed tents on rented lots, but they opened a floodgate of revival that has persevered until this present day. And as those elders obeyed God's voice, he honored them with a move of his spirit that had long been missing in so many denominations of the day. That's not just a distant memory to me. For you see, I still possess that old-time pioneer spirit because I am your church. Most of all, I am a message, a different message to be sure, one that separates its followers from the world and from the bondage of creeds and religion. My followers pledge their allegiance not to a set of doctrines, but to a name the only name, the highest name, the sin-cleansing name, the name of Jesus Christ. 
The streams and rivers of New Brunswick have seen many souls come out of their waters completely set free from sinful lifestyles and habits, transformed not by a ritual, but by a redemptive act, immersion into the name of Jesus through baptism. My early pioneers believed their message was an absolute so much so that no inconvenience or hardship or icy New Brunswick winter could stop baptisms. It's much easier to be baptized today, but it's still just as important. But you know that because after all, I am your church. My beginnings in your community were humble. Early on, there were some tent meetings and street meetings, and then a small building on a crowded uptown street with only a tiny group of worshipers present. That was my first home. From Coburg Street, I eventually moved east to Mark Drive and much nicer facilities. But I still retained the revival spirit that had given me birth. Because in that first sanctuary, and in all the sanctuaries to come, was a pulpit filled with preachers who preached the apostolic message to all who would hear And this family began to grow, and it's still growing today. And I've grown up with them over the years. I am now little children who are learning to pray great big prayers. I am young people who are living unashamedly for God in an ungodly age. I am families who put God's eternal kingdom first in their everyday careers and commitments. I am seniors who still have a passion to reach the lost and a love for everyone who enters my doors. And I am now the sacred memory of dozens of departed saints who poured their prayers and their lives into this local assembly and they influenced all of us who would follow in their footsteps. Yes, I've grown up over the years, but so many things remain exactly the same. I am still exuberant in worship. I am still apostolic in doctrine. I am still Pentecostal in experience. I am still separated in lifestyle. I am still missions minded. I am still sacrificial. I am still baptized in the name. I am still filled with the spirit. I am still overcoming. I am still headed for heaven. I am still in love with Jesus. And I am still preaching the powerful message that unlocks the very shackles of sin from the lives of men and women. I am your church. I am storm-tested and strong. I am excited and I am united. I am kingdom-minded and I am servant-hearted. And today I pause to celebrate Pastor Brent and Daphne Carter, the anointed leaders who now hold the helm of my vision and passion. I have faith in God, and I have faith in them because they honor my past, and they believe in my future. I am six decades of history and heritage, saturated with preaching and prayer and wrapped up in a future filled with hope. But you know that because I am your church.
If you're glad for your church family, would you lift up your hands? And much more importantly, would you lift up your voice? And would you thank God for the privilege of being part of a local church that loves Jesus like this church loves him? Oh, I worship you, God. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. Let me take just a few more moments this morning. Anytime in the Bible that you see a heap of stones, it means, number one, something died here. Or number two, God did something miraculous here. Or number three, we made a commitment to God here. Or many times, if you see a heap of stones in the Bible, it means that all three happened at the same time. For example, Joshua built many altars of stones during the conquest of Canaan. There were the stones on the bank of the Jordan River where they crossed over. There were the stones in the midst of the Jordan River under the water where the ark had stood when the waters parted. There were the stones in the valley of Achor where Achan and his family died for their disobedience. There were the stones in, at Ai where they buried its king after they won the battle. There were the stones on Mount Ebal where they read God's blessings and curses and gave the people a choice as to which way they would go. And there were the stones at the Makeda cave where they conquered five kings at one time. Every time you see a heap of stones in the scripture, it means something died here, God did something miraculous here. We made a commitment to God here, or sometimes all three. And the final altar in the book of Joshua is just a single large stone. And we read about it in the last chapter of Joshua. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall therefore be a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. As they grew older, and as they raised children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren through succeeding generations, they could walk into that field in Israel at any time and see that large single stone standing there, and it was a witness. They could point it out to their kids and their grandkids and all of their descendants. If that stone could talk, it would tell us how God brought us through. If that stone had a voice, it would tell us how faithful God's been to us. I got one better than that. If the walls of this sanctuary could speak up this morning, they would tell us how faithful God has been to every member of this church, how he's seen you through, how he's healed broken bodies and united broken families and heal broken minds. If the walls of this sanctuary could talk, they'd have a testimony today. They would. In the book of 1 Samuel, something similar happens. As the dust settles after a stunning defeat by the Philistines at a place called Ebenezer, the Israelites are left with 34,000 dead soldiers and the horrific realization that the Ark of the Covenant, the tangible symbol of the presence of God, had fallen into enemy hands. But what Israel failed to recognize is that the Ark had already been in pagan hands. 
when backslidden Hophni and Phinehas had broken God's commands, removed it from the tabernacle, and carried it uncovered into battle. And that's why God allowed the ark to be taken and those two men to be killed on the very same day. It is a day of unbelievable shattering defeat. When the high priest Eli hears that his sons have been killed and the ark of God has been taken, he falls off his seat backwards, breaks his neck, and dies on the spot. And when his daughter-in-law hears about the tragedy, her labor pains come suddenly upon her and she dies in childbirth, but not before she can name her unborn son. And as he comes into the world, she calls him Ichabod meaning the glory is departed from Israel. Kabod means glory. It means the weight of God's presence. And Ikabod means no glory. And so that little boy that was born on that day of battle, that day of defeat, that little boy had no parents, no grandfather, no God, and no hope because the glory had departed from Israel. That horrific moment in 1 Samuel 4 is so tragic that years later, decades later, Scripture addresses it in Psalm 78. So God forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men, and he delivered his strength, his glory, the ark into captivity. His glory went into the enemy's hand. Now God, don't you ever mistake it. Don't you ever think God actually suffers a defeat. After seven months, everybody in the five cities of the Philistines was terrified of that little golden box with the two angels on the top. Judgments had fallen on their nation. Their pagan idols lay broken across the threshold of their own temple. They learned that Israel's God was more than capable of defending himself. You know what the Philistines did? They packed up that little golden box with the two carved angels and they sent it back to Israel on a wooden cart. Much later, after the ark is finally restored to its rightful place, the prophet Samuel stood and led Israel in a national prayer of repentance. I thank God for the privilege of repentance. Because I'm not perfect now. I never have been perfect. I don't think I'm ever going to be perfect on this planet. And so I thank God that when I take a wrong turn, when I have a bad week, when I make a terrible mistake, I can come to God through the privilege of repentance. And Samuel leads the whole nation in a prayer of repentance. And watch this. While they are praying, prayer is powerful. This has been a praying church since the foundation of this church back in the 1960s. Don't ever lose that. Don't let your pastor and his wife and the team carry that all alone. You be a praying saint. You be a praying family. You be a praying church member. Because while they were praying, God himself defeated the Philistine armies who were trying to attack that prayer meeting. And that was the moment when Samuel did what Joshua had done. He set up a single stone as a memorial. 1 Samuel 7. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen. And he called the name of that huge stone Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. 
In chapter 4, the exile of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was memorialized in a name, Ichabod, the glory is departed. But now in chapter 7, the victory of God through prayer over the enemy is memorialized in another name, Ebenezer, which means hitherto, up to this point, as far as I've seen, God's been faithful to me and God has helped me. That's the testimony of this local church. If you just kind of hap- happened in here today, that's the testimony of this congregation. We don't know what may happen tomorrow. We don't know what may unfold next year. We've seen that the last couple of years, things can startle us. Things can take us by surprise. Nothing takes God by surprise. But we got a word, and the word is hitherto. Up to this very moment, God has been faithful to Mission Point. Up to this moment God has always seen us through up to this moment we don't have one complaint about the God of our salvation literally Ebenezer means stone of help Ebenezer had been the site of Israel's greatest defeat but now it became the site of their great victory all because they turned to God in repentance hitherto up till now The Lord has helped us. Now, it's not that Israel will never have another enemy or another battle to fight. It's not that there will never be any more dark days or any more perplexing circumstances. It's not even that they will never suffer another defeat. Because listen to me, they will. They will make mistakes. They will do wrong things. They will sin. But when they do, They will be able to look back at this moment and they will be able to look back at this memorial stone and they will say, I'm in a mess today, but I can say that as of that moment, as of that day, as of this anniversary celebration, up till right now, God has always been with us. God has always been faithful. And if he's been faithful up to now, I just have a feeling God is going to be faithful until we get all the way home. (laughs) Ebenezer means a lot to the people of Israel at this moment in their history, but Ebenezer means even more to the apostolic church. Because I have the privilege this morning of telling you that we have another stone. Acts 4, this is the stone that was set at naught of you builders and is now become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he said, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners. But mission point... You are now fellow citizens with, of the, with the saints. You are part of the household of God. And you know what? This church, I know it's built on a nice hillside. And I know there's a lot of rock in the ground everywhere in St. John. But we're built on something even more solid than that. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We've got another stone. He's our Ebenezer Calvary is our Ebenezer. 
I just need some saint of God to lift up your hands for just a second and lift up your voice higher than your fingertips and bounce it off the ceiling a little bit. Lift up praise to the Lord. When I look back at Calvary, I can say Calvary tells me that God has helped me. Calvary tells me that God has been faithful. Calvary tells me that God can intervene and turn anything around. Oh my goodness. Whoo. You see, we too have a place where our sin should have defeated us. But God won the battle when we turned to Him with repentant hearts. It's called Calvary. Because brothers and sisters, the cross is our Ebenezer. God took His glory so seriously that He Himself took the punishment when we fell short of His glory. He forgave our sins. He forgave our imperfections through His perfect sacrifice. And Calvary, when I think about it, it says to me, hitherto the Lord has helped us. Calvary looked like a total defeat. Jesus' body, like the Ark of the Covenant, was captured by death and buried in the temple of the tomb. And the enemy was laughing and mocking as Jesus breathed his last. But on the third day, saints of God, the power of Satan, death, and hell lay broken on the threshold of the grave. And if Jesus could do that, he can do anything for anybody. The Bible says that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Your greatest, worst, most fearful enemy is death. And Jesus beat your worst enemy 2,000 years ago. Everything else you need, it's downhill from there. Everything else you need, it's easier for him than that. In the generation that succeeded Samuel, there was a young leader who was called a man after God's own heart. And in his humility, this young man named David prayed this prayer. And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Who am I, God? You've blessed me like you have. What is my family that you've given us so many things, so many blessings, so, many, so much provision? Who am I? You see, David, he wanted to build a beautiful temple to the Lord to honor the name of the Lord. Just in gratitude for all God had done for Israel. That's what he wanted to do. But God told David that he had other plans and he would allow his son Solomon to build that temple. Basically, it went down like this. David said one day, God, I'm so thankful to you. I'm going to build you a house. And God said, no, David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to touch your family so that there never lacks a man to sit on the throne of Israel. In fact, I'm going to touch your family tree so much that one day the Messiah is going to come out of your family tree. So thank you, David, for wanting to honor my name. Thank you, David, for wanting to build me a house. But David, the reality is I'm going to build you a house that is far greater and will last far longer than any house you could ever build for me. The prophet Jeremiah, he said this, Thus saith the Lord, if, somebody say if, yes. 
if you could break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, if you could arrange it that there wouldn't be day or night in their season, if you could arrange it so that the moon didn't show up at night and the sun didn't show up in the sky in the day, then and only then God said, can you break my covenant with David, my servant, that he would not have a son to reign upon his throne? That's what God said. If you could break my covenant with day and night, then maybe you'd have a chance of breaking the covenant that I make with my people. Now, I'm not an Old Testament king. I love David because David, he's one of those guys, it's like his body was stuck in the Old Testament and his heart kept reaching for the New Testament. But I'm a New Testament believer. I have something David never had. He dreamed about it. He longed for it. He was thirsty for it. David never got to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But the spirit that David loved to be around and the spirit of God that David felt out here, I have in here. God has built me a house. God has blessed my family. God has allowed me to be part of his house, the people of God. And sure enough, you go to the very first book and the very first chapter and the very first verse of the New Testament, and here's what you'll see. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Let me tell you, God was faithful. God built David a house that outlasted the Old Testament. It outlasted the written New Testament. It's still going strong today. And in this church, we are part of that house that God started building for David see it's not really about the house it's not really about the building it's not really about any particular service or celebration it's about when we gather together it's about that word hitherto that's what it is hitherto the Lord has helped us mission point God has been mighty good to you he's been faithful to you and you have seen powerful things happen in your history. But let me tell you, God is not finished yet. And we're not finished yet. The greatest days of revival and harvest for the city of St. John and this entire area are not behind us. They are before us because our love for God and our love for the lost, they compel us to be hungrier than our history and thirstier than our yesterday and more passionate than our past. And if you think that the world is in such a mess that you don't know what you're going to do, if you think that so much pressure and opposition that the church can't possibly hope to survive and thrive, let me correct you because we've got a stone. It's called Calvary. It's called the name of the Lord, which is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they are safe. So I stand here this morning on a day of celebration as we mark 10 years of great leadership, and I tell you the last 10 years they will pale in comparison to the next 10 years up until Jesus comes because God gives ever increasing anointing and ever increasing vision and ever increasing blessing.
That blessing's not just on your pastor and your first lady. That blessing, because you submit to their leadership, that blessing rests on you. I'm looking for a saint of God that's weathered a few storms and had a few dark nights and maybe even experienced a few unanswered prayers. I'm looking for you to look back in your personal history and find that stone, find that moment, find that time when you know that you know that you know that you know that God came through for you. You know it was a healing because the doctor couldn't do it. You know it was a miracle because there was no way out. You know Jesus stepped in because you couldn't fix it by yourself. I'm asking you this morning as we celebrate 10 years, I'm asking you to celebrate a lifetime and say, I can look back and find my stone where God came in. And I can look back and say, God has been faithful to me. And so as far as I'm concerned, up to this point, God has helped me. Up to this moment, God has been faithful. And if he's been faithful up till now, I have 1,000% confidence that he's going to be faithful until the end. He's going to bless me. He's going to bless my family. And he's going to bless my church. Would you stand with me right now? The music can come back. I don't know all your customs on a Sunday morning. I'm just here because they invited me to come in incognito. So I don't know what I'm really doing here. But here's what I know about this church. This church loves to worship and pray. I'm going to ask if you'd lift up your hands one more time as you stand. But your hands are not the center of spiritual warfare in your life. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. So it's really important that some saint of God lifts up your voice right now and gives honor and praise, glory and adoration to the Lord. This isn't just about our church family. Today's about you. God can see you through. God can be faithful to you. God can bless you. God can deliver you. God can heal you. I don't know all of your customs on a Sunday morning, but this is a good one. Can I invite this whole church family, everybody included, nobody excluded. Would you step out of where you're standing right now and would you walk down those aisles and would you gather here at the front as a church family, as the body of Christ, as the bride. Would you gather here as a great local church out of appreciation to the God who has seen us through up to this moment. It hasn't always been easy, but it's always been worth it. It hasn't always been a smooth road, but God has always helped us on the journey. It hasn't always been just sunshine and roses. There have been dark nights and rainy nights, but God has always met us. Hitherto, hitherto, Mission Point, the Lord has helped us. Oh my goodness. As you come, would you just step all the way to the front, everybody? Let's allow people to come out of the aisles. When you get here, would you just lift up your hands and let's just worship the Lord. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I'm so grateful for your faithfulness. I'm so grateful for your blessing. I'm so grateful for my church, God. I'm so grateful. Now the Bible says in the last chapter of the book of Job that God turned the captivity of Job. He turned the captivity of Job 
when Job prayed for his friends. So we're all just family. Would you find someone near you? And if it's okay with you and okay with them, would you lay your hand on their shoulder? Or maybe take them by the hand and lift that hand with yours. And would you begin to pray not just for you, but pray for somebody else in the family. All my life, God's been faithful. All my life, He's been so good to me. With every breath that I'm able, I'm going to stand here and sing of the goodness of God. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.